John chapter 13 and verse 31. And um, we are entering a part of the book of John, um, which is, uh, for some, uh, there's different names for it in commentaries and things like that. I call it, uh, I call it the great discourse. Um, it is uh, chapter 13 to chapter 17. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he is going to be, um, from the end of 13 to 17, he is basically giving them a, a master's, uh, master class in what it means to be the church. And the end of chapter 13 is the beginning of that discourse. And so we're going to be looking, beginning in verse 31, uh, Jesus' words. And if you remember um, in chapter 13, verse 30, Judas, uh, who betray, who's going to betray Jesus, has left. It was nighttime. He goes out. And in verse 31, when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment, therefore, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. But by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay, your life down, lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And although there's a chapter break here, I want you to remember this is all one statement from Jesus. So he tells Peter, you're going to deny me, and the very next words to Peter are, let not your heart be troubled. Now that's an extraordinary moment. We're going to pick up on that next week, but I want you to, I want you to, to realize uh, Jesus has outed a traitor, told Simon Peter, kind of the leader of the disciples, that he's going to deny him. But then he says, but don't let it trouble your hearts. Now that's an extraordinary moment from Jesus. We'll talk about that next week. But let's talk about uh, what happens here, because I think we need to get into to kind of looking at this and talking about it. Um, Jesus lays down this, this extraordinary moment, and Jesus has this uh, Jesus has this very poetic way of saying things. And John um, really captures the poetry of the way that Jesus talks. Um, in Aperture this week, um, which is a kind of an intense Bible study that we started this week, um, I, I talked about how I really believe that Jesus sings stuff like this. He doesn't just say it. The way that the language is structured, um, it, it's like a song. Jesus is... Um, a, a, and, and we know from, from the rest of the scripture, his mother is a singer. She sings. And, and the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, is filled with music. Um, we don't have the notations. We don't know the tunes. But we can tell that they're, they're musical. And uh, Jesus sings. A lot of what he does is songs, especially his prayers. 
Um, if you want to learn uh, uh, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, just sing it, and it'll, it'll make perfect sense to you. Um, and uh, it, it, it'll work. It's easy to remember. I love when Scripture is put into music because I actually think a lot of Scripture was music to start with. Um, but Jesus says to him, listen, he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. Uh, now, what is the last line of uh, 13 verse 30? It was night. It's dark. And Jesus looks out in the darkness as Judas leaves and the door closes and it's dark out into Jerusalem and he says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Well, what is glory? Glory in English comes from to glow. All right? And what glows? Light. So in the middle of the night, in the middle of the darkness, Jesus says, I know it looks like it's dark right now, but now is the time when the Son of Man is going to shine. And the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. And if God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself. Now that's a weird way of saying, Jesus saying, God and I, the Father and I, we know what we're doing. We're in harmony about this. We are focused on this. We are getting ready to do something extraordinary and amazing. And so then he says, little children, technia um, is, the, is the Greek word. Um, it literally means little children. He says, I'm only with you for a little while. Now that word, little children, John will pick that up. And in his first epistle, in 1 John, he repeatedly refers to the church as little children. He uses this word, technia. Um, and I think that John, who is writing to the second, for second and third generation of Christians, he's talking to the young church that's going to replace that first apostolic church, those people who knew the apostles, those people who had lived through the time of Jesus. They're being replaced by their children and grandchildren. And so John latches on to Jesus speaking to him and the other disciples as children, and he kind of uses this. This is Jesus speaking to the church that will come. In other words, Jesus talking to us. I'm only going to be with you for a little while. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also do you say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He says, I'm going to be removed from the situation physically, you're going to look for me. You're going to wish that I was around, but I'm not going to be around. So here's what I'm telling you it means to be a follower of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And so often we read that line and we don't catch the next piece. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Loving one another is not about our definition of love. I had originally put up a slide, but I thought it would actually be more interesting to do this. Um, I want you all to rack your brains and think about songs that are about love. Not Christian songs, pop songs. What is love? Right? That's the first one that comes up, right? What is love? What, what are some other songs that are about love? I will always love you, Whitney Houston. Who else? Love you more today than yesterday. Love, love me do. Love you just the way you are. Love me tender. Do you love me 
Now That I Can Dance. What are some other songs? Love Can Make You Happy. All we need is love. Da, 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 da. Right? What else? Love will keep us together. Uh, I want to know what love is. Tom's still trying to figure it out. What else? Love me two times. Wow. What about love? Secret love. What love's got to do with it? We started with that one. No, we didn't. We didn't hit that one yet. What's love got to do with it? What? Chains of love? What? Somebody said love to death. Love me to death. That's not a group I've heard, but awesome. All right. What is some, I, I mean, we think about it. Our pop culture is filled of love. Now, here we go, real quick. What are some movies about love? Love stinks. We need to meet later. Love actually. Love story. Doesn't have to have love in the name. To serve with love. Wow, going Sydney Poitier on us. Love is, love is a meant, that's a really long title, Russ, but I, all right. What? Fifty first dates. Every Hallmark movie ever made. Girl from country, makes it in the big city, has a boyfriend, goes home, meets the owner of a, some fill-in-the-blank small business, falls in love, can't be in love, then big city falls apart. Yes, every Hallmark movie ever made. All right? Love pervades our culture, the pursuit of love, the desire for love. It's innate into human beings that we want to be loved and we want to love. Um, and, and it's inexplicable, right? Some things about love do not make any sense, not just with human beings, but everything else. We have the most demon-possessed cat that has ever walked the face of the earth. He was, I, I, all right, listen, not now, but back in the day, and Stacy will testify to this, this cat just loved to hate. He took Stacy's legs and turned them into a scratching post. He used to sit on the ledge of our, we have a split level ranch, and he would sit on the ledge and try to jump on people's heads. He would wait for people to sit on our kitchen chairs so that he could grab them, uh, their backsides. He just loved to torture human beings. Um, and he is getting older, um, and he's really in the very, very last stages of his life. Um, and the other day, we had a situation with him, and I spent three hours cleaning my basement, my entire basement, because he had made a mess of it. I won't get any further in that. Um, bleach and all kinds of fun stuff, all right? And... Um, and yet, when I made the call to the vet to find out what the cost would be to, to finally put him down, I cried. I have no reason to love this cat. And yet, I do. I remember him when he was a kitten, and he would sit on my shoulder. And when he was older, before Wallace showed up, um, every morning he would come out and sit on my lap until the girls woke up, and then he would run away and not have anything to do with me the rest of the day. And, and I still have an attachment to that cat. But what is, is what we call love, what Jesus is talking about when he talks about love. And that's the difficult question we have to ask. Is what I think love is what Jesus was talking about? 
Because he says that that thing, that love that he's talking about, it will characterize us. The world will see that love. And the reality is, the world, it is all too easy for those who are called Christians to be lumped in with the people who have abused the name of Christ to abuse others. It's all too easy to lump us all together And maybe there's just not enough distinctive about us yet for people to tell the difference between real Christians and people who are just using Christianity. Uh, Somebody said to me this week, they said, uh, you know, all, you know, all Christian speakers, they don't really believe what they what they say. They couldn't possibly believe it. And and I had to be honest, it was like vast majority that that may be very well true. It may be very well true that there are people who stand in pulpits and at lecterns and and platforms in churches, and I use that term in the loosest possible way, all over the world who are telling people things to manipulate them, to control them, to to put them in positions of of inferiority, to use guilt and fear. Um, there, There very well may be. But is that what Christian, what the Christian message is? And is there enough about us to make us so distinct as to not be lumped in with that crew? And that's a difficult question for us to contemplate. I'm not going to answer it because I don't have an answer, but I am going to get into the text. I want you to see, though, what Simon Peter does when Jesus says, By this all you people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for me, for one another. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, teach us to love. Nope. Where are you going? Simon Peter completely misses Jesus' message and latches on to Jesus saying, I'm going to go away, and like I told the Jews, you're not going to be able to follow me. Simon Peter does not hear Jesus talk about love. He just hears, Jesus is not going to be with us. And his immediate response is, well, I can't do this without you. Where are you going? Can we just go with you? Why, why can't we go with you? Isn't some Peter sometimes like a, a, like a first or second grade kid? Like, not a teenager. They don't want anything to do with us. But, but like a little kid, you're like, you're like, well, I'm going to the store. Can I go with you? Well, no, no, I got a lot of shopping to do. I can't kind of manage you while I'm there. Please, I'll be good. Can I go with you? And then what do they do when you get to the store? They're all over the place. I was at a store the other day, and this little kid... I, 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 would, I was laughing inside, but outside I was not going to laugh because this poor beleaguered mother, this sassy little kid, she, I'm in Walgreens, I'm looking at index cards because of course I am, and um, I didn't buy any, I was just browsing. Um, but but uh, I'm looking at index cards and I hear this little kid in like the back section of Walgreens and the mom is like, all right, honey, just don't touch anything. I'm not touching anything important. And, I, of course, I'm chuckling because that's like something Ariel would have said, right? Um, and she's like, no, honey, please don't touch anything. Just just stand right here with me. Just stand right here. And, and I hear the little kid go, I'm standing. I'm standing. I'm standing. And I can hear her little voice getting further and further away. 
from her mother. And like, like she's only saying I'm standing when she's actually standing still, but then she's taking a step and saying I'm standing. And the mother's like, honey, please, could you just, just, I just need to, and I don't know what she was trying to buy. I have no idea what this mother's trying to sort out. But this little kid, and then, and then, so it goes through this for like, like two or three minutes. I was really into my index cards. And, um, and then we start to, they, they walk down the aisle past me, and as they do, the mom says, okay, honey, we're going to go home, we're going to go to the register, we're going to pay for this. And the little girl goes, the little girl says, I was good while we were here, right? And the mother's like, yeah, yeah, honey, you were, okay. It's, I was really good while I was here, right? And I'm like, I, I know the mother's mind wants to say, no, you disobeyed me every chance you got. But the mother is just like, you know, no, honey, it's okay. This is kind of like what Peter wants Jesus to be doing with him. Jesus want, Peter wants Jesus to stay with him. Peter's going to kind of say stupid things, ask dumb questions, but he just wants Jesus with him. What he doesn't want is for Jesus to leave him alone. Now, I think there's a lot going on in Simon Peter here. Um, I think we get on his case. I, I think there's a part of Simon Peter that is really, really intimidated by what Jesus wants him to do. He, Jesus is asking him, Having been with Jesus for a while, now Jesus is asking me, saying, look, I'm going to go, and you guys are going to lead this whole thing. You're going to have to believe that when I, when I go to the cross, that, that I'm going to be raised again. And there's a, There is so much that Jesus is asking of Peter. And Peter is struggling, and we pick on Peter sometimes, but I'm pretty sure we would all have the same struggles that Peter had. As Jesus says to him, I'm leaving. And I just picture this moment when Jesus says, look, all right, so Judas has left. Jesus says, okay, the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Everybody's like, okay, with that. He says, now, I'm going to, little children, I'm going to leave. And Simon Peter goes, wait, what? Now, I love the fact that Simon Peter was not willing to talk, to raise his voice and ask a question. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, Simon Peter gets John to ask Jesus, Who? But when Jesus says, I'm leaving, Simon Peter goes, oh, what? No, don't. He's become so, he believes he needs Jesus physically there in order for Simon Peter to be able to follow Jesus. He, he's, he's on it. He's obsessed with it. And he says to Jesus, he goes, okay, Jesus, you know, in verse, in verse 40, in verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. He says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'm willing to die for you. Now, Jesus responds, are you really? But Jesus actually has another intent. If Peter were to die with Jesus there, Peter would not accomplish God's will for Peter. To die with Jesus at the cross, to, to go and be crucified with Jesus would not be the fulfillment of God's love for Peter. It would not be the fulfillment of Jesus' love for Peter. Jesus knows what Peter is destined to do and to be. And to die would be to rob the world of what God was yet to do through Simon Peter. We could go through the scriptures and we could see all kinds of things. Here's an interesting thing about Peter. Peter will go where no one else can go. I, I firmly believe that the Apostle Peter, for all of his quirks and failings, 
was the only person in the book of Acts who could have demonstrated the opening of the gospel to the Gentiles and opened the door for the ministry of Apostle Paul and ultimately for the church that includes all of us Gentiles. Peter was the man God had chosen for a very specific job. And Peter is, wants to be with Jesus so much that he doesn't understand that for Jesus to truly love him, Jesus ha- Peter has to, or for Peter to truly love Jesus, he has to be willing to let go physically of Jesus and grow. He has to let go of the experience and joy of waking up every morning and seeing Jesus over there under his blanket sleeping, knowing that today was going to be another day with Jesus. And what must it have been like to live for three years walking around with Jesus? I mean, what an extraordinary life Peter has had. I mean, it, it beat living at home with his mother-in-law, apparently, but he, he, was, he, he was called to this role. It was his purpose. And I mean, Jesus is doing crazy stuff. He makes water into wine. He makes fish show up where there are no fish. Jesus is healing sick people. And, and I mean, I just think Simon Peter gets up every morning and goes, I can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do. And they get to the night here at this supper, and Jesus says, I'm leaving. And Simon Peter goes, no. No, I want so badly to have this tangible experience of Jesus' presence. I don't want to take a chance that I might have to live in faith to see something, to believe in something I can no longer see and touch. Simon Peter is really struggling with this. I think we struggle with this. What it means to love without Jesus there to tell us what it means to love. Wouldn't your marital conversations go much well if Jesus was the referee? If every time, you know, there's that commercial right now, I think it's Geico, they're, they're throwing the challenge flag on conversations, and they have to go to the review. Wouldn't it be awesome if you threw the challenge flag and Jesus just stepped in and he's like, okay, here's what we need to do to heal this situation. We're all like, thank you, Jesus. That was amazing. The reality is half of us would go, no, not doing that. It's just our human nature. So Jesus is going to teach us what it means to love. Let Let me offer you a couple of things. And we see this in Jesus. And you can go through the Gospels and you can see this in Jesus. Love is not attachment, emotional dependence, physical attraction, need, gift-giving, legal contracts, or even personal devotion. None of those things are love. We may feel those things for people we love, or we may not. Love personified in Jesus, is a choice. And if you get nothing else from today, remember this one thought. Jesus does not need to love you. He chooses to. We need to get it out of our heads that Jesus died for the world because he had some kind of deep 
unrequited need for the bunch of us. He did not. He chose. He chooses us. He chooses to love us. He chose to love Judas, knowing Judas would betray him. He chose to love John, knowing that John would one day be the caretaker for Jesus' mother. He loved them both. He loves those who reject him. He loves those who follow him. I believe without any reservation that the judgment of God, the condemnation of those who do not come to Christ, breaks the heart of God. God does not sit in heaven jovially laughing as he sends the condemned to eternal fire. I believe that God weeps over death. He weeps over sin. I believe that when, G- when God in Genesis chapter 3 comes walking in the winds of the evening, knowing that Adam and Eve have turned their backs on his one rule. When God speaks to them, I believe he speaks with a broken heart. You say, but he's sovereign. He knew. That does not make it any less hurtful when your creation turns on you. I believe that sin breaks the heart of God. I believe that our unrighteousness breaks the heart of God. I believe that our division and our, and our struggles and, and the corruption that fills this world, I believe that our God is heartbroken because he chooses to love us. See, if he were forced to love us, there's not much heartbreak there. there. There's not much heartbreak for a slave if his master dies. You can check every record you want. You will never find some slave who is beaten and abused by some slave master who when the slave master died, the slave went, oh. And you know what? If Jesus is required to love us, guess who is the master in that relationship? Us. And he is mastered by no one. Jesus chooses to love you. It's extraordinary, knowing everything about me, Jesus chose to love me. My wife knew next to nothing about me when she married me, and she still chooses to love me. He already knew everything. Love is a choice. And it is a choice that moves us to action. Jesus chose to love us. But if the second person of the Godhead had remained in heaven going, yeah, I love them, they're great, I love them, but never taken action, never come and been born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, never gone to the cross. Uh, when, when Bob was talking about Jesus could have called down lightning and splintered the cross, and, and Doc was sitting in front of me, and Doc went, no, no. Because that would have been Jesus saying, yeah, I love you, but I don't love you that much. I don't love you enough to offer you a way, a truth, a life. Man, somebody should write that down. That was cool. Um, uh, You know, Jesus loves us enough 
infinitely so that he, he offers to us something only he can offer. See, Peter thinks love is self-sacrifice. He says to Jesus, well, I love you so much. If, if, if I could go with you, I would lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, my love for you is bigger than asking you to do that. Isn't that wild? My love for you is bigger than wanting you to be with me. I want you to be with me, and one day you will be with me, but right now I have a job for you to do. And I love you so much that I have given you this hard, impossible task to do. Now later on in, into the discourse, he will say, I give you an impossible job, and so I send you the Holy Spirit to help you do it. Because it is impossible. Right now, Peter is going, just take me with me. I don't want to do this job. I'm not interested in this. So what is love? What is love? Love is placing God's purposes for ourselves and others over our own. Love is placing God's purposes for ourselves and others over our own. Love should make me happy, not all the time. Love should give me butterflies. You know what gives me butterflies? Roller coasters. I do not love them. I despise the idea of being upside down. We were having a conversation at my at my Aikido, my martial arts class, because I'm I'm well known for being really good at rolling and flipping and, and doing taking falls, what's called in Japanese ukemi. Um, I'm really good at it, and we we're talking about. It. I said, you know what, guys, want to hear something really weird? I am terrified of doing a flip off of a diving board into a pool. I can't do it. I said, why not? I don't know. Every time I get up there, I'm afraid I'm going to break my neck. I can do a flip on a concrete floor, but I can't do it over a pool. That gives me butterflies. Love is not butterflies. Love is not uh, dependence. Love is not emotion. Love, is, love is, a, is a covenant with another person that, that God's purposes for them are greater than your purposes for them. We could solve a lot of our relational problems if instead of us doing a one-on-one, -on -one, we did a one-on-one-on-one. -on -one. My wife and I were dating, and I know this sounds super spiritual, but you can, tell, you can talk to her. I'm not making this up. We were a, a month or two into our, our dating life. I wrote my wife a song, and along with the song, I gave her a note, and I said to her, um, uh, to, the, to the extent of, I cannot love you. I can only give all of my love to Christ and pray that he pours his, my love back to you. And when we go through dark paths and dark places as a couple, we are always reminded that the love we have for each other is not me loving Nicole, it is me loving Christ and Christ loving her. And because I want to be in harmony with him, 
I find love for her in my relationship with him. And you want to know the only times we have struggled with whether we love each other? It is when there is something wrong with our relationship with him. You say, it can't be that simple. Let me tell you something. That is not simple. Learning to love another person by by letting go of loving them and instead giving all of your love to Christ, that is hard. Because the things that we do to people that we say we love, we would never do to him. And we have to repent of those things because our love needs to be through him. Next month, I will have been married for 24 years. I finally think I've been married long enough to give marriage advice. People used to tell you, they're like, they're like, you do counseling? I said, let me get some experience first. Will you help us with our kid? I'm like, I don't have one. I shouldn't be helping you. Then we had a kid. They're like, can you help us with your kid? I'm like, my kid is one. Yours is 17. There's not an appropriate uh, relationship there. Now I'm actually old enough, and I have uh, my, my marriage in 24 years. I have the, the greatest kid that's ever walked the face of the earth. No offense to your kids. They're the greatest kid to you, but mine is the greatest to me. Um, and certainly quirky in every possible way. I can finally say to people, hey, look, I have enough experience. I can tell you, here's what it is. Here's where it boils down. Is your love to that person or is your love to Christ? Because if Christ can take my prayers, the book of uh, Romans says the Holy Spirit takes the things that, the things that we cannot utter and, it, and takes those things to God, completes those prayers. If the Holy Spirit can do that for my prayers, then guess what Christ can do for my love? He could take my imperfect, broken love that I give to Jesus. Christ takes that love and he turns it into something beautiful and perfect. And he pours it out on the person that I love. Love is a covenant that I will always put God's purposes for the other person above my own. That I will seek to bring my will subordinated to the will of the one who truly loves. I tell you something, Peter was not ready for that message. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I would lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, not only will you not, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to love others and you can't get past yourself. Did you notice that about Peter? He says, love one another. And Peter says, but I want to be with you. Why can't we go with you? I don't want to love this bunch of losers. They're always getting me in trouble. They're having me ask questions I don't want to ask. I'm getting in trouble all the time. I'm always the one sticking my foot in my mouth. And it was Thomas that told me to say it. Peter only thinks about himself. I I really honestly believe Peter does not know what love means. Until the end of of the book of John. I think that's why John includes it. I think that John, writing about his older cousin Peter, he wants you to know Peter finally learned what it means to love. 
that Peter struggles with. It's all about himself. And then Peter is, is in the tomb. Later on, we'll get to it. But during Jesus' trial, Peter is denying Jesus. And then the Bible says that at, when Peter does it for the third time, Jesus looks across the court, courtyard and looks at Peter. And Peter finally realizes he wouldn't have really done what he said he would do because he didn't really understand what love was. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Isn't that the human definition of love? You please me. Don't do anything to wreck it. Jesus' definition of love is I choose to love. I make a choice. The Son of Man, look at love in this passage. What is Jesus doing that is love in this passage? He is bringing glory to the Father. Well, that's easy. That's a simple thing, right? But Jesus is, loves his disciples, so he's leaving them behind to build his church. Uh, Jesus loves Peter, so he is letting Peter fail. Jesus loves Judas, so he's letting go of Judas, so that Judas will do what Judas is going to do. The Apostle John later on will come back and he says in 1 John chapter 2, and you can look at it on your own this week, but he says to truly love is to let forgiveness flow into our sinfulness. To love is to pour my love. If I give my love to Christ who forgives sin, then I, in a reflection of his love for me, must be willing to forgive sin. And that's a, a, a weird metaphor, I get it, but I love the idea that forgiveness fills up our sinfulness. Jesus abandons the world physically, but he calls his disciples, and we'll talk about this as we get into the later chapters, he calls his disciples to abandon the world um, the, the set of views and thoughts that motivate the world outside of the church and instead turn their focus to God. What is love? Love is reversing the flow of the fall. fall in Genesis chapter 3 was man following our own desires and our own needs and breaking fellowship with God and then wondering why our relationships with each other are broken. Love is sitting in the ashes of, of Eden, taking our broken love and pouring it back to our creator God and asking him to change what we cannot change ourselves. I'm a little over, but I, I really think it's important that I say this. We have to fall out of love with falling in love. We as Christians have to abandon the notion that love is defined by our romance and our emotions. You are in a marriage covenant today. 
Your marriage covenant is defined not by you and the person you are partnered with, but by the God who is supposed to be the binding, covenant-keeping fabric of your marriage. You say, but I don't find him physically attractive anymore. She's annoying. We don't see eye to eye. We're, we, why, why should we perpetuate the lie? Well, God doesn't lie, so if there are lies in your marriage, it's not his. Maybe what you need to do is to take that relationship and you need to break apart what you think binds this relationship together and maybe, just maybe, have a one-on-one-on-one. And both of you need to say, I'm going to devote myself to Christ. Because you know what? When two people are completely and hopelessly devoted to Christ, to loving Jesus, then that marriage becomes about his love and not ours. His love is eternal. You say, I'm not married. Paul would say to you, good on you. But you're going to find a marriage relationship. Start your partnership with the love of Christ. Putting God's purposes above my desires and intentions. You say, well, what if the other person in the marriage doesn't want to do that? Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. You as a Christian are not obligated to get other people to follow Christ. You're supposed to follow Christ. So you love like Christ loves, even if they love like somebody else. You say, well, I don't want to. There's your problem. Until you choose that what you want is not as important as who Christ is, you haven't truly loved with his love. It doesn't matter how annoying the church of Jesus Christ is. He loves us. Let me close. One, one quick thing, just because I, I feel like I need to say this. I always get nervous whenever I feel that. Sitting in Bob Bragdon's living room, 2009, Bob asked me why I would come to be a pastor of a broken, dysfunctional church I said because Jesus doesn't give up on his church when you come to your marriage and you say why should I not give up on this marriage why should I not give up on this reprobate kid why should I not give up on this situation why should I not the answer is because Jesus doesn't give up on love how dare you think that you're smarter than him that you're better at loving than the one who died for you. How dare us? How dare we? I just used the wrong case. How dare we approach Christ and say, we know love better than you. And yet do we not do it all the time? It's just human nature to want to have our desires instead of God's will. Join me in a word of prayer.